1: Phone via 24 monthly bill credits plus tax. If you cancel credit, stop and balance on required finance agreement may be due. Contact us. Qualifying credit and consumer plan required. See details at TMobile.com. You're listening to the Heroes Podcast Network. phone via 24 monthly bill credits plus tax if you cancel credit stop and balance on required finance agreement may be due contact us qualifying credit consumer plan required see details at tmobile.com
0: introducing peacock the new free streaming service from nbc universal it's hit movies current shows live sports trending bits and timeless hits and that's why you can't not watch peacock watch for free upgrade for more stream now at peacock tv.com law and order svu streaming now
2: Hello and welcome to episode 50 of Kaiju Curry House, the fortnightly show that gives you a healthy dose of Kaiju goodness every other Monday. <coughs> I'm Paul Williams, here with normal hosts Alex and Joe, and returning special guest Steve Wang. Hello everyone, how are you today? Hey good, how are you? Glad to be back. Oh so, yeah, I'm I'm super, absolutely splendid. So Steve, we're going to be delving into you today, all, all, all the wondrous things you've done over the years, but before we do, we have to ask the question of Joe. What have Kaiju been up to?
3: Oh, So I've had a couple of wonderful things. Um, Co-host Alex has very kindly conspired with artist Joe DeVito to send me some art, which I will post to our group. It is absolutely gorgeous. And Joe was a wonderful sport. He uh, sketched something for me and just threw it in the makes and, it was just fabulous. It was a lovely surprise, and I'm very thankful for it. I have also, and um, I've been teasing this to co-host Paul, uh, Alex and I conspired for something that's gonna hopefully be ready for his birthday, but I am currently building a Graboid. And the model is by Invader Design. You can find them on Twitter or in our group. And it's pretty fun. It's about 37 centimeters or a foot tall. And uh, the tentacles that come out of its maw, you can take those out and it can be used as a pen holder as well. So it's kind of a fun Mm -hmm. thing.
4: There's a backstory, though, to the whole present buying, isn't there, Joe?
3: Yeah, someone, some Polish person set a precedent.
4: Yes, (laughs) Um, because I think what's frustrating out of this is that with uh, the two British hosts and the one American one, it was the American co-host who knew that there is a certain kind of etiquette when it comes to buying presents for your friends which is when it comes to Christmas or any kind of birthday you give a heads up and you say you know are we doing presents are we those type of friends and then everyone will usually respond with no we don't need to do presents however Paul kind of dropped fairly decent cards upon us first didn't he Joe like handwritten cards digitally designed on Moonpig, really good quality cards of personal messages and he was like oh 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 plus DVDs. And we kind of looked at each other, sent a message and went, oh, did you get him a present? No, did you? No, we're bad friends. (laughs) And then since then, the precedent has been set. And... I commit, it, keeps, it keeps escalating. That's the problem. escalated further and further. <laughs> I commit social faux pas because the last birthday, the two of you got presents for each other and for me, and I didn't get anything. So I was like, eh. but then I recently stayed with Joe in Exeter with his family, which was lovely. And I thought, right, you know what? I'm going to try and get something for a man who has everything. And I thought, okay, I'm going to get in touch with Joe DeVita with the artist who we recently had on, who is a big man in the world of Kong. And I said, look, From one Joe to another, my Joe is a bit of a weirdo when it comes to Kong. Can the authority on King Kong do some art for him? And he got a limited edition print. And I was very embarrassed when he said, you know what, I'm not going to even charge you for it other than the postage. So I kind of thought, eh, And I said, well, actually, I'll have one for myself, which I was very pleased about. I said, Paul, do you want one? Like a stingy bastard that he used to see, nah, I'm <laughs> not that bothered. I don't need one. I like oh, okay, fine. Be the, be the odd one out. Why don't you? Um, So the artwork arrived from Joe DeVito, which I've got here. I'm going to uh, make a lot of noise as I enroll it. And I'm very, very pleased about it. it it's lovely. Um, I mean yeah it's yeah.
2: it's a fabulous so, print so for um, our listeners that was um what was that kong
3: it was the kong king of skull island cover the heart the original ah, okay. cover and uh it is that print that joe so so very kindly um gifted for me yeah. and then alex got one for himself but it, it was really kind of him and he mm-hmm. was a
4: fabulous guest and great artist and small guy um thank you joe so we're very, very pleased about that. Um, but we've been chatting for a while, um, you know, Joe, McEntee and myself, about kind of ways that we're going to um, up the game even further for Paul. And as you all know, listeners, Paul is a massive fan of, um, of the Tremors franchise because someone has to enjoy those films, uh, yeah. all nearly seven of them. Um, I even remember Steve saying on the last episode, Tremors Tremors 7? in sort of this horrified, there it is. And we got a 3D artist to kind of do the bulk of the work and Joe has been kind of adding bits and pieces and it's going to be wall-mounted a bit like as if Paul has hunted this beast on one <laughs> of those vile big game hunts that you get out in South Africa. So it's been lovely kind of gifting each other. However, I do feel that we can't go any further in terms of the escalation now. No, no please stop. We have, we have bills to pay <laughs> You know, it's like, ah, oh, you got that. Well, I bought this. N- no. Um, Joe, you asked the question to someone. Steve, what have Kaiju been up to? Uh, well, since the
5: pandemic uh, hit, uh, business has been pretty bad because uh, all our clients have more or less kind of shut down. The movie industry is shut down for the most part, uh, at least here in the United States. So what I've been doing is I've been, uh, creating original art pieces and, uh, doing my, um, my, uh, sort of, uh, I've been making, making, I'll just show you making little, little characters of things that I like, like the invasion, the saucer man and whatnot. Um, and, uh, going to put those on sale like on my etsy store mm-hmm. sometime soon um i've created some uh wall hanging masks um i'm also going to be releasing a original design uh green hornet mask that i had made years ago it's going to come with a, a little uh uh base that's going to hold the mask and then it has a nice sort of laser cut uh hornet and uh that and among other a bunch of other stuff so Putting together more or less like an Etsy store to sell a lot of uh, original stuff pretty soon, um, and that's kept me pretty busy. Um, and then in the meantime, since our shop isn't really open for business, uh, I've been making uh, a lot of stuff for my collectible company, the Elite Creature Collectibles. And so we just finished the Pan's Labyrinth um, bust of the Fawn, life-size bust, and that turned out really cool.
3: Um, How
5: so big is to- that? Out of curiosity, uh, it's life-size. So the head. I, I know, really- but like. Oh, um,
3: he was a big um, fawn.
5: It's probably like
3: 25,
5: 28 inches tall. Horns are about, you know, like you see my hand. They're about, 60 centimeters-ish.
3: Uh, Ish. Yeah, okay. Yeah,
5: cool. they're pretty big. Um, so we finished the, we just finished it. So I got to shoot some photos and send it to Guillermo del Toro for approval. And uh, hopefully when he approves it, then I can ship it all out to our factory and then put it in the queue for whenever they're going to release it, uh, you know, somewhat later this year early next year or something so just getting all that stuff out of the way and and doing that um and then we have a i guess we have a little puppet project coming up um for some tv show that i can't really talk about because it's all kind of top secret but they just called us up today to confirm that we're gonna get started like within the next week and it's a super fast turnaround we're doing three characters in two weeks um so wow. it's, it's a, yeah it's crazy it's always crazy so is, is it
3: a full puppet armature everything that goes uh, over it
5: it's actually, we're collaborating with this other puppet company. Um, okay. They're commissioning us to do the head and the hands, and then they'll okay. do the body and the costume. So, because okay. there's there's just no time. I mean, two weeks to do three puppets. Yeah, 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 yeah. that sounds a lot. Yeah, we have to sculpt these things. We have to mold it, cast, paint, you know, uh, make uh, make it so that you can actually move them, hair. I mean, it's a whole the whole Megillah, so. So, do they uh, send you the design? or? Yeah, this one, because okay. they're, they're caricatures of real people. So, oh i see yeah it's like that there was that one tv show way back uh it was originally in england actually spitting image spitting image yeah it's yeah. sort of it's <laughs> sort of in that style of, of okay uh, of caricatures yeah so oh, and um cool. yeah that's more or less about it it's, it's actually quite a bit of stuff we're doing um but you know just anything we can to keep busy at this point yeah, yeah. yeah. so alex what kaiju been up <laughs> to
4: was that was good yeah. Um, okay, so in terms of um, movie consumption, I decided to take a bet and watched uh, Terror of Godzilla with my five-year-old daughter. And that was the dub, because I have to be realistic about the fact that she's still learning to read. So the viability of playing any of the criterion, classic um, Shower era Godzilla films, you know, with subtitles, that's that's not going to happen. So I'm quite limited in the options that I've got. And of the ones that are available in dub on that collector's box set, one of the ones that she hasn't seen yet was Terror of Mechagodzilla. And I thought, you know what, I'll give that a go. And it's pretty rare that a child sits still for a film. I mean, adults are pretty bad anyway, but children usually sit for a bit and you're like, oh, this is the most amazing film in the world. Oh, I love it, I love it. 20 minutes later, they've walked off. and You're like, eh, what? Why have you gone? Oh, I'm bored. So like, they're quite flighty. However, I was very pleased that in, it's about an hour and 20 minutes long, the version that we watched. And she sat still for a good 50 minutes and was engrossed. And only in the last 20 minutes, she got wriggly and was kind of like, oh, is it nearly over yet? And I'm like, almost, almost. Um, But the parts that she found um, the most exciting, actually, weren't the parts I expected. Because I thought, oh, she's going to love Titanosaurus. Because I kept saying, look, that's the monster that's up on my shelf. I know you love Titanosaurus, Joe. So I was like, look, do you recognize that? That's on Daddy's shelf. Yes, Dad, that's Titanosaurus. I've seen it before. Oh, yeah shit son sorry you know who's that Mecha Godzilla, i know the original one not the 90s one i'm, I'm schooled uh, but the part that she found the most exciting was um with the um the main woman who's a cyborg so she was just absolutely kind of engrossed of the idea that this person appeared as human but when you kind of cut her opens it's, it's a machine inside she's like so is she alive or not i'm like well that's a philosophical question oh well can she fall in love i'm like well you know oh can she cry i'm like ah so she was (laughs) was like asking these quite deep questions about what it is to be a cyborg and i'm like hmm try this it's called asimov you know hmm, hmm. have a look at this you know so it was interesting kind of seeing this all like a classic sci-fi spark being ignited i was very pleased about that um that's pretty much it from me. But to be fair, playing Terra Mechagodzilla with my daughter is a, probably going to be a highlight of a parenting career. So that's that's me done. Paul, what have Kaiju been up to?
2: Uh, um, not a great deal. I've I ordered and have received Kaiju Max Volume One. I I haven't started to read it yet, so I can't comment. But I've you know I've, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I did watch a fee a film called Sea Fever, which. It's on now TV in the UK for listeners and the cover looks quite bad. It's a picture of a ship and like a tentacled shadow underneath, like a, an octopus or a squid underneath it. But the film's actually really good, but not that much kaiju. It's um it's kind of about a group of people stuck um on a boat and the boat's kind of in effect um infected by this kaiju and they don't know who's been infected by it it's kind of like it latches onto the ship and something affects the water supply and then if they've had a drink before they realized it you know have, have they got it and it can get in through open wounds and things and so you've kind of got not not as bad as the thing because you know they're not mutating they're not an alien but there's that whole mistrust of the crew on the as who's infected who isn't um, someone to get to land where others are slightly smarter and say, no, we need to stop this before it spreads. And so yeah, the kaiju's probably in it for like two or three minutes, but it's a really well acted film um about kind of isolation and what what people are capable of when, under you know those situations. So that's called cool Sea Fever. It's surprisingly good. Don't go by the cover art. Looking all that it's much better than it is. Um and can I ask, are unicorns kaiju?
3: Unicorns yes. are unicorns, dude. They're amazing. Okay,
2: okay. In that we can case, always um, talk
3: about unicorns.
2: Fantastic. Um, so my brother has made a board game. He's literally just got the prototype shipped from China, and uh, it's about unicorns. And I've been playing a lot of that. Just um, getting, getting, um, getting, my, getting my head around how, how it's meant to work. And it's been, it's been a lot of fun. He wants to make a whole YouTube video and Kickstarter and, and make it because he, he wants to go like, mass-produce it. But, yeah, it's called Rainbow Valley, it's about unicorns collecting apples, and it's a great, yeah, great bit of fun that we had as a family. Um, I, I, I oh. forgot to mention this, yeah. but I
3: will, will back up the unicorns being strange beasts. So, at the National Maritime Museum in Falmouth, there is a Monsters of the Deep uh, exhibit going on. It will be going through for a couple of years, and it is all about sea monsters, the actual, um, uh, what do you call it, Um, science behind the myth, I guess you could say. And then they have a whole bunch of absolutely fantastic uh, exhibits on science fiction sea monsters. They have actual deep sea swelling or deep sea creatures on exhibit. They have, they have them in spirit jars, which are the jars of alcohol or preservative. They had anglerfish, gulper eels. They had a real coelacanth there, but full circle here, they had a unicorn exhibit with a narwhal horn. <laughs> so okay. there we are. You were, right, you were right there. They had a uh, Ray Harryhausen kraken, probably 10 feet away from your unicorn so allowed
2: allowed okay cool
4: i'm glad you mentioned that because i was chatting to paul earlier um because i'm currently hosting paul at my house which is a nice experience but i had a gripe and I'm, i'm rare to kind of grumble about kind of issues with the fandom but it was a little bit frustrating that in one of the collectors groups for the figure franchise that we get x plus there was a rule that's been introduced which is do not post up ray harry Howes an x plus figures because they're not kaiju and I, I was thinking to myself oh for heaven's sake you know like does, does it really matter at the end of the day it translates a strange beast it's a freaking monster you know like are we gonna say oh well a kraken is not a is not a kaiju but godzilla is it's like okay i, I get that kaiju has japanese origins but then by that kind of logic you could say well the Hosts in the kaiju film because the host is a Korean film, not a, a Japanese film. It just kind of gets a little bit uh, pedantic. So
5: well, let me let me let me uh, maybe give you my input about that being. Asian, Please, uh, you know, kaiju does translate to strange beasts, and it's kaiju is not ex, it's not an exclusive term to the Japanese culture. Uh, any Asian, like Chinese culture too, they call kaiju kaijus. You know, anything that's a strange beast, we call it kaiju as well. We just pronounced it guai so which is the same thing. So that's really cool. so in in regards to people saying, Oh, if the Harry Monsters is not a kaiju, maybe that's some strange rule that they created, but as far as Asian culture is concerned, if we if we look at like the, the Chinese culture, or the Taiwanese culture, you know, when we look at Harry Monsters, we would call it a kaiju. So yeah. it is a kaiju to us, no matter what what the, the background is. So that's just a little clarification of how it is from the origin of, of the words. It's uh, it's not like an exclusive club that only uh, that only applies to Japanese monsters.
3: Regardless, good culture. listeners, if you enjoy it and you think it is a strange beast and a monster, you go on ahead and enjoy it.
5: <laughs> well, here's the thing. I mean, it's, it's I think a lot of the fandom, too, they... Sometimes are kind of misinformed, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember when I was producing my TV show, Common uh, Writer Dragonite*, and uh, somebody showed me a post that was uh, posted by a really angry kid who was Japanese. And because I had called, I had called the show Kamen Writer* instead of *Mask Writer*, which is a direct translation with what common Writer* means in Japan, uh, he got really upset. He says, "How dare this guy, you know, uh, make fun of my culture and, and use comment instead of mask." You know it's you know common is a real Japanese word, and blah 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 and what he failed to understand was that when the original show was created common it was called common Laida in japan Laida is was was taken by the creator common writer was a, it was an English word for writer, so he incorporated an English word into the title, so it's half Japanese half English, mm-hmm. but this kid didn't know that you know he he didn't have any history with it. So he thought laida was a Japanese word mm-hmm. and, it, and it wasn't. So it just invalidated his argument completely, you know, but, but that's what I'm talking about is that sometimes the fandom, they get misinformed or they're just, or just, or just not informed at all. And they'll say these things that have, have like cultural relevance. And in a, in a, an example would be the, the whole kaiju argument. I didn't even know that was even an argument because to me growing up, kaiju is any monster from any culture. <laughs> That's what we do. That's what paging means,
4: yeah. Um, I mean, there there are podcasts that kind of dedicate themselves to doing uh, a history of all of the Godzilla films, and they work very well. And, like, you know, episode by episode, they go through each of the Godzilla movies. Now, by definition, the remit is pretty clear, and there will be a finite number because you will run out. And I think we just kind of got to the point where we thought, well, let's just talk about things that we enjoy in terms of creature cinema and monster movies. And sometimes the links are pretty clear. You're like, yeah, that, that that's obvious. And then other times one of us will say, it follows. yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I was wondering where that would come up. Um, you know, the, the ghost movie, it follows, you know, as far as I'm concerned, the monster in that is a monster because it, it relentlessly chases people and it is a strange beast, but it's, you know, it's closer to kind of a Japanese understanding of a spirit rather than kind of a creature. But it's, it's like it does, yeah. doesn't really matter. You know, it's, it's, uh, a, it's fun it's to drop in. A, why not? Yeah. yeah, it's more of a yokai if you want to get technical. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you've just you just pushed Alex's geek button. You, you have. That. I I am a Yo, I am a yokai fan. I, I enjoy yokai folklore. Yeah, um, yokai's are cool. They are, but I, I think occasionally in the past I would kind of like respond to someone being pedantic over, oh, well, that's not a kaiju and kind of, well, no, I disagree. But as I'm growing as a person, I'm realizing, okay, just do what you want. I'll go off and enjoy my hobby elsewhere because there is very little to be gained from kind of being a keyword warrior back and arguing semantics, especially when I'm not confident enough. If I was in your position, I could like assert kind of my understanding and like clearly articulate that. But I, I just kind of looked back and thought, Oh, go away! Go away! I, just, I couldn't be bothered with it. Yeah,
5: it's not. Those forums are so toxic. It's not worth it.
4: It's, no, it's really not. It,
5: yeah, it's. I mean, if you want to be an authority on something and get so toxic about it, I don't. You know, you're not. You're not saving people's lives. You know, you're not making the world a better place. I mean, you're talking about <laughs> entertainment. You know, S- a silly hobby it's, it's, with. Yeah, it, that's the kind of stuff. I just walk away from. Like you know, what, that's not worth my time. No. If you're talking, if you're arguing and you're fighting, really a lot of conviction about you know child abuse or about racism you know mm. about human rights violations or something you know and you're a warrior to championing for that great you know fight but you're fighting about you know kaijus or you're fighting about like origins of uh, it's, yes okay great whatever I, it's not important to me you know it, it's entertainment it's like i enjoy it i'm not gonna fight about it
2: hmm. yeah that's definitely the right approach to take isn't it yeah i think that, that that's where we are
4: Well, where we're at is our first break, so we'll return in a moment. Thank you.
0: Me, 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 but also you. The pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. Okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is "Get options based on your budget with the name and price tool from Progressive." Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm going to need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The name your price tool, only from Progressive. The and ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive
1: Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: Introducing Peacock, the new free streaming service from NBC Universal. It's hit movies, current shows, live sports, trending bits, and timeless hits. And that's why you can't not watch Peacock. Watch for free, upgrade for more. Stream now at PeacockTV.com. Law & Order SVU streaming now.
4: And welcome back to the second part of Kaiju Curry House. My name is Alex. I'm joined by Joe, Paul, and our very good friend, Mr. Steve Wang. How is everyone doing? Good. Grand. Absolutely fantastic. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Steve, for joining us this evening. Um, Joe has had the idea that we're going to be talking about some aspects of special effects within the movies and we're going to pick out a few of our favourite scenes from films. They don't necessarily have to be monster related, but just kind of films that you think you know what, that is a great scene. And then where were we going to go with that, Joe? What was the idea? Are we just going to talk just, about, wow, this is a great idea or this is a yeah. great scene? Yeah,
3: so we were, we were talking before the episode about the brilliant marriage of computer generated and live action effects and or the use of blending things and it's that realism that you know like there is something there and then you can cut to another scene and it's a totally different effect but in your mind it was real or you completely lock i mean you completely had that suspension of disbelief the effect was that good it was just like you were in the movie so i just want to like cherry pick like maybe three different you know like scenes from different films that we all really enjoy that gave us those moments and they can't be creature feature related. They can just be whatever. But, you know, I think that it's a really fantastic opportunity because we have a brilliant special effects artist with us tonight. So. Uh Uh,
5: Well, uh, just right off the bat, um, there's so many, I think that are really amazing over the years. Um, You had mentioned earlier about, you know, John Carpenter's The Thing, which was revolutionary i mean that was that was an amazing uh film with effects that no one had ever seen before um and that was done by rob boteen he also did the howling which i thought when you first saw eddie Quist transform for the first time that was pretty mind-blowing as well i remember seeing that for the first time in the drive-in back in 82 i think that's when it came out uh and that was
3: mind-blowing the uh, howling has pretty Proper werewolves, too, let me yeah, just say. that was a I badass. That's still one of my favorite They movies. are amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um,
5: another film comes to mind is uh, Dragon Slayer. Uh, I remember seeing the movie, and, you know, back when I was a teenager, watching that movie, it was, it was so boring. <laughs> and, and everyone was just waiting for the dragon. And when that dragon first showed up, you were not disappointed. Uh, I remember sitting there, and I just got goosebumps. I was like, holy crap. This dragon is amazing. It just looks so real. And that was like Phil Tippett's animation
3: totally brought it to life. So this is, this is a great anecdote. So there was a nine-year-old in my life and I, he, he wanted to watch just like one of the films that I geek out about. And I chose Dragon Slayer. And it was really funny because it's like, oh, it's not going to be scary. You know, like, oh, like, oh, the princess is clearly going to get away. Right? Right. she's gonna get away right right oh my gosh oh no you can't do that
5: (laughs) the baby's annoying on her leg you know
3: (laughs) yeah but you know it was just that i mean like i knew that that was going to be coming in my mind and it was just the dawning realization like oh, they went off a bit they went a bit off script here i mean it's not following (laughs) before yeah but yeah vermithrax was an amazing dragon that's still one of my
5: favorite in fact when i worked on uh um What's that movie I just... Oh, Rain of Fire. Uh, When I was on the team uh, sculpting and designing dragons on that, uh, the big influence on that was Vermithrax. That was was like the go-to. Like we wanted to do like an updated version of, of Vermithrax so because we all love that love that dragon so much it like it was still like the best dragon ever made
3: at that all time, of her especially. entrances were amazing too yeah. i mean that was just great storytelling they really amped up the thrill factor so that when you saw vermithrax it's kind yeah. of like jaws you were just like oh it's there
5: yeah it's amazing. yeah the build-up the build-up was was really good and when you finally saw him going up against that dragon you're like that kid is toast there's yeah. no way he's gonna live you know um so yeah so i thought that was amazing um Another one I thought, and this is more more recent, uh, is the the new Planet of the Apes series. They they're all CG apes, but um, I gotta say, you know, there's a couple of like I thought, I thought Caesar was pretty good. Like at times, you know, he did look very CG, and it was kind of back and forth, and probably because you got to see him so much. But then, I don't know. You look at like the ape like Koba uh, from Part Two. Uh, koba was amazing it, he there were some scenes in there where it absolutely looks real to me 100% real you know as a as an ape
3: and then the uh, ape that got me in that sorry to interrupt the ape that got me was the orangutan i think yes the orangutan. that was my yeah. next thing is I, like,
5: that yeah, that that yeah. one is a single single ape in the entire movie that never once looked fake ever every yeah. single shot that thing was in it was, was 100% real. So, and I was blown away by that. I thought, wow, this is like really well done. This is, you know, if all CG looked like this, no one no one would complain. <laughs> because, you know, how much real can you get, you know, beyond real, right? So part of it is the, that was, oh, sorry. Oh, yes. So that, anyway, that, that, was, that was a big thing for me in terms of,
3: you know, a big CG leap forward. I remember watching a, uh, Back, I mean, when DVDs initially came out, one of the huge things was special features. We take this for granted now, but initially, when DVDs came out, and you got the special features menu, you were like, "Oh, this is amazing! I can... Cast commentary, how it was made, this is great." But and this is this is going to sound like a stretch, but it's, I'm going to come back. So, Shrek. So I was watching the <laughs> I was watching the making of for Shrek on a DVD, and it was really interesting because. Fiona, when they did the CGI effects for her, she was too real. And part of that was the basic texturing of her skin, but it was the hair that was really too much. So they actually had to make make a concerted effort to de-realize Fiona. And I think that hair special effects have come such a long way. So Peter Jackson's King Kong one of the things I love about that Kong is all the stuff that's just in his hair. And you know, you don't get that with any other King Kong. I mean, like, here's an animal that, like, it's always living in the jungle. It's rolling around, doing what have you. And if you watch, like, say, a National Geographic special on gorillas, they've got stuff in their hair. Mm -hmm. But in King Kong, you know, Peter Jackson's King Kong, he's got all, like, he's got, like, bits of leaves and it's matted and all this. It just looks really lovely and it it's real. It's fantastic. That's interesting. Yeah.
5: You should mention that because I've never noticed that, but I guess part of what really sells something is that it's so natural. You don't question
4: yeah, I feel that exactly. if, we're, if we're talking about um, King Kong and kind of the believability of the apes, we, it would be a disservice if we didn't mention Terry Notary because in uh, Rampage, for example, Jason Lowes, who I've had on as a guest, he was uh, tutored by Terry Notary. and Terry Notary played Rocket in the Planet of the Apes movies. He also was involved in the Tim Burton uh, Planet of the Apes movie, which I know isn't to everyone's taste, but the reason why I mention him is because he was the stunt coordinator for the Planet of the Apes movies, and when he's worked with... Um, actors who are portraying apes he's trained them in moving like a quadricep that's the key thing and there's been a lot of kind of activity on instagram from people like alan maxson who's one of our guests we've had on before jason lyles similarly richard Dalton. you see them with kind of these canes that they've got in their hands and it's because they're working on the beach crawling on all fours and it's all terry notary's tuition it's kind of he literally has devised workouts where he's getting people to move more like apes and it's just it's absolutely stunning the work that he's done so i felt like i had to go shout out to him
5: yeah well, Terry, terry's yeah. amazing so is
4: richard richard Dordan's amazing too he's a, he's a lovely um, bloke yeah uh, very cool. very very humble like mm-hmm. very, very understated individual it was like yes. just, he is literally an every man <laughs> yes <laughs> he's done it all just listening to all the things that he's done and just like very very calm about it and uh, just mm-hmm. you know, like d- doesn't suffer fools. D- d- doesn't like it. I, I respect that. It's kind of oh, if you're going to be a weirdo about the games that I've played and kind of try and school me on what more you know about it, I'm not particularly interested. And I quite like that. I, in the similar way we are talking about films of yourself, it's that these not particularly interested or who can out nerd on how many you know minute you can pick out from a film. Just oh, I've been in some games. Yeah, I love them. It's been good mm-hmm. fun. And I, I quite like that. Um, my film that I was going to pick out was *The Invasion*, of *The Body Snatchers* from 1978, because That's there so good. there are so many moments in that film, and I and the one that sticks out for me is when um, spoilers when <laughs> uh, when Brooke Adams' face just kind of breaks away because uh, Donald Sutherland, you know, is a phenomenal hero, and for me that film is just brilliant because the entire cast are knock out the park. That they they are. All brilliant actors in that. And you've got Jeff Goldblum, you know, very young Jeff Goldblum in his 20s. Uh, You've got Leonard Nimoy being a bit of a bastard and a really likable bastard, though he's fantastic in it. And Brooke Adams looking absolutely stunning and just a brilliant, brilliant counterpart to Donald Sutherland. And then in that kind of last sort of 20 minutes, real tragic scene where Donald Sutherland and Brooke Adams kiss, And then he kind of wanders off to try and, you know, find what's going on. He returns to her and her face just kind of rots away. But the special effects on that scene, coupled with the moment when they're in the garden, they're all taking a nap and then they come out of the pods. And I I love the kind of, I I don't know how they do it, but the way how that uncanny valley effect on these pod people that are coming out they almost look like the main cast but not quite and when they kind of start making that noise and reaching with the web across their mouth it just uh, i think for a film that is what you know 40 years old i think it's absolutely fantastic it is fantastic that was my yeah,
5: especially that scene with the with the guy the dog with the human yes. head Yes, it, <laughs> oh it, it's ridiculous, it was, but yes. it's so good. It was shocking, it actually. I saw that as a kid. It was shocking. It was yeah,
4: like cool. oh. yeah. Mm. yeah. Uh, so that 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 was the one for me. And then the other one that I picked out um, was actually a John Carpenter film. It was Big Trouble in Little China. It was the okay. it, it was the eyeball monster with the the Guardian. And I know that it's a very zany film. Like like it's it's pretty it's pretty left field. It's wacky, but I feel that it's a lot of merits to it. And for me, it's I think I think that kind of when they go down into the sewers, I think I think it's wonderful. I think it's, it's it's so bonkers. But the eyeball monster is kind of a standout for me.
5: Yeah, I didn't work on Big Trouble, but I was working at the studio that did Big Trouble in Little China, uh, the creature effects. Okay. At the time, so I got to see all that stuff uh, in person—the big eyeball and. Uh, well, can and you tell us more about oh, that? What was okay. it like to see? Um. Well, I didn't know anything about the movie. I just knew that John Carpenter was doing it, and it was supposed to be like his take on a, you know, like a, a, a Asian fantasy kind mm-hmm. of, you know, monster movie. And at that time, I was really into Hong Kong action films. And there was a, a film that came out uh, prior to that called Zoo Warrior* of *The Magic Mountain* back in '83, I think it came out, and it was directed by Choi Hark, and it was it was touted as the first Hong Kong special effects movie, and and it was quite. Crazy, quite amazing, actually, especially for its time. Like, you know, you can see all the seams now. It's a bit old. But the ideas that were behind that was pretty brilliant. So I thought, okay, this is kind of like, you know, John Carpenter's take on that type of film. Um, my friend Scream at George, uh, whom I met on the project at Boss Films, was the guy that uh, was painting the, the, the eyeball creature. Mm. I'm not sure who designed it. I, I know the big one was sculpted by G, uh, Jim Cagle, another Hollywood uh, sculptor, a friend of mine. And um, and then I got to see you know like the big statues that they made uh, the the what they call the 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 Thai looking warrior things. Uh, I got to see the um, the wild man in it you know the big crazy hairy guy and then pre met george made the, the sewer creature which is this big fish thing with long
4: arms that came out of the it's only in it for a couple of seconds yeah it's... just literally
5: a few seconds and i thought wow all that worked for literally a few yeah. seconds not knowing that that was going to be my career path as well that was going <laughs> to spend months and months building stuff but you'll see it for literally two seconds hmm. um so yeah it was it was interesting i didn't i didn't know anything about the movie when i was at that studio i got to see everything and then when the movie came out i was like oh, okay yeah it makes sense I'll do you rate the film I was not a huge fan of it. Um, Mm I thought, uh, I thought, I like Kurt Russell. I always like Kurt Russell. He's just a, just a great character actor, you know? Yes. Um, And I thought his, his, uh, his friendship with, um, is it Wang, the other guy? The, the Asian guy. I will check. I think it's, uh, (laughs) yeah, anyway, I saw, I've seen that guy in little Tokyo all the time. When I go shopping there, I see him shopping there all the time. Um, uh, Dennis Dunn, that's his name. Hmm. Um, yeah, so I thought, I thought they had an interesting relationship. Uh, a curious, curious thing was, it, before the film came out, there was all these articles about the film, you know, and, and about Dennis Dunn talking about, oh, you know, he's not a sidekick, but he's an he's a equal to Kurt Russell. That's his character. That's how the, it's written and whatnot. And ultimately, when I watched the film, I thought, no, he's just a sidekick. Like, they really didn't. They tried to sell it as something different, but they didn't treat him as an equal. They treated him more like a sidekick still.
4: And yet, when Kurt Russell is kind of fighting the bad guys, he's quite lackluster, and he kind of like sort of runs into a room and does that hand solo kind of. Oh, it's full of people. I better turn around Then shuts the doors, and then when his when his sidekick kind of sort of stands up to them, actually he's a complete badass. Yeah. He just kind of floors them. So
5: yeah, but that, yeah, that that was that was the running in joke. I've mm. I've seen that in other other films like 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 green hornet you know maybe not as
3: silly but it's basically kato was the guy that comes in and kicks ass and, and yeah what, well we all know why i mean like <laughs> who was kato i mean yeah saying
5: so, yeah so yeah that was a running joke it's like you know the the badass hero actually doesn't really do the work it's it's his, his sidekick that does it all mm. um we but, see you batman we
3: mm-hmm. know
5: yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it was fun you know i i know a lot of the uh uh, actors in that, you know, like uh, James Liu, he, you know, he's a friend of mine, uh, Al Leon is a friend of mine, you know, so it was kind of, it was kind of fun to watch them in all these movies and stuff. Cool. Every so often, I'll go to a movie theater and I'll watch something or on Netflix and I'll see somebody I know in, in,
4: in a movie. So it's kind
3: of, it's fun. Mm.
2: That sounds cool. Someone
4: else take the attention for a moment on terms of films that they've enjoyed. All
2: right, oh, well, come on. I mean, I'm, well, I was trying to think Tell of films. Tell us about Tremors, come on. Uh, I don't think I can give Tremors a shout-out for being so believable because the premise is a bit wacky. Um, you I see, would actually, wait, no,
4: stop for a second, because I referenced the eyeball monster in Big yes, Trouble. Yes, you did. You did. There was nothing about <laughs> Big Trouble that made me go, oh, yeah, I could totally see that happening. No, no, no. Did right. not? No, oh, no. Okay. Invasion <laughs> <I can> Body <laughs> Snatchers is frightening because actually there's a bit of it that I think, you know what, like, Yeah, that could happen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
3: In the beginning, with the plant and everything, it starts out so subtle. Mm. (laughs) It just makes you
4: wonder. But but Big Trouble in Little China, I picked it out because the effects of the eyeball monster are brilliant, not believable. I just don't want any listeners thinking, does Alex believe an eyeball (laughs) is in the sewer? Are they, you know dodgy racial stereotype Chinatown. I don't want people kind of getting a bad impression of me here. So no, go on, Paul, keep talking.
5: It's okay, Alex. We know you secretly believe that eyeball. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
2: Thank you, Steve. Um, I mean, as a kid growing up, I, I, you know, believed in the, I don't know, believed, that Ray Harryhausen films were believable to me. You know, seeing the skeletons fight because it was so well-timed, the sword clashes and things were just like, Wow, that's amazing. Um, but I would actually like to shout out to a full CGI film, um, Final Fantasy Spirits Within, which I think was done in the late 90s. And that was like the first
3: great first
2: film I remember that was like, they're throwing all their money into making a realistic looking CGI film. And it was so impressive at the time. I, don't, I haven't seen it in years. So I don't know how it's aged. But at the time, I, I had to double take a lot of the characters because they looked, they looked real they look a little
5: dated now compared to what they're doing but it, yeah. i remember seeing it when it first came out and it, it, it was definitely revolutionary
2: it was i space. mean and that's that must be at least 20 years old now i think yeah, and that was it's, it's, it's stunning i mean I've, i watched um terminator dark fate the other day and there were bits where it where well, you could tell it was cgi and it kind of took you out, took you out a bit but i suppose that film being fully cgi the characters and the monsters it really just blended well yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah, I know it got a lot of hate, but I really enjoyed it at the time. I, I, was, it. I, I thought
5: it. That was a really good story. I mean, the whole idea of those spirits, you know, yeah, the the, the remnants. I like of how you can see the spirits
3: once they've yeah. gone through the energy. You know, like yeah. it, it's kind of like like when you, when they pass through like whatever the future civilization is using. Like I think they use a similar energy, but like when they pass through that, it makes them glow. Oh, it's like oh man, that's great. That's a nice touch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really like. Oh, it. Really like okay. I'm glad
2: there's a lot of love for this film because yeah, uh, I remember just it getting bashed, and I, I don't think it did well critically. But it was, I yeah, it, I, I was stunning. surprised
5: by that because I I thought it was a very interesting movie, and and it was certainly entertaining, and it, and the, the CG, it, especially for its time, was was amazing.
4: You know. Yeah, it strikes me to the type of film where it's from a franchise that any film is probably doomed to fail because people are so kind of protective of the game franchise because Final Fantasy games have done so well. And a film to be made kind of, it is doomed to fail in terms of the, you know, a director will have an idea and go, right, I'm gonna do this. And the people who love the games will go, but that—that's not what I like about Final Fantasy. So, a bit yeah. like, say, if there was a Zelda movie, that kind of thing. It's uh, mm-hmm. like lots of people are going to go, well, that—that—that's not what I like about it. So, in a sense, there'll always be demographics within kind of the the hobby that kind of go, no, it's rubbish. And then, unfortunately, because people are vocal now, I mean, even more so than when uh, Spirit Within came yeah. out, yeah. people will kind of before things even release go, this is trash. You know, yeah. like. <laughs> yeah. Which it's, is just it's a it's a it's, it's a, a tough, tough place to
5: be because you know when I was doing my TV show, Common writer, you know that I, that was a show I watched as a when I was a kid growing up, and I loved that show mm. and uh, and all the shows you know subsequent that came from all the seasons that came from that. So getting a chance to to make an American version to to sort of reboot it was was a dream come true for me. And I remember uh, at the very beginning of it, I had met one of the old time producers of the show from Japan he came by to visit the set and I was talking to him about the show and I told him yeah I just want to make something that you know that I really resonated with when I was a kid you know and for the fans I really love Kamen Rider and you know what he told me he says don't care about what the fans think don't make the show for them make the show just make a good show mm-hmm. and I was a little shocked to, to hear that at the beginning but of course you know I I, I didn't challenge his wisdom because who it might have challenged someone who's been doing this for decades you know yeah and of course what he said eventually all started making sense when all of a sudden all the forums are coming out before before our show even aired there was so much hate for the show because <sighs> people were just like why are they making another american adaptation you know this you just mm. you know there's there's you find out there's purists you know and then there's all yeah. this it's crazy people who won't even watch your show who's going to hate it right from the beginning because they won't watch it or, or whatever and ultimately it it all made sense to me like what the what the man was saying to me and uh and i have to agree with him 100 mm-hmm. percent, because you think about what's happening with star wars like I, I i just heard this term literally like last week the fandom menace oh. and, and it's yeah and it's basically it. that's so on point yeah <laughs> that's so and, on point point. And, and i guess that's like that's fans that hate star wars
0: yeah
5: isn't that an oxymoron star wars fan that hate star wars i mean it's i don't get it you know um and so what what these people do apparently is that they they literally shit on the franchise and, and they're so vocal and i believe they're not they're not the majority of the voices i think i think it's like they say the smallest dog barks the loudest right? yeah
0: yes and, absolutely. and
5: so and what I find that's really dangerous with what's going on right now with the Star Wars fandom is that they realize that they have so much vocal power behind what they say because they're the ones spewing so much hate. And somehow Disney is falling into it. And so they're saying, oh, so we have we can actually control the Star Wars franchise by telling them to make what we want to see. And that's dangerous because I hate to say it, but if those fans are so good at making Star Wars movies, they should not be fans. They should be making Star Wars movies, but they're not, right? So what's happening is that they're telling Disney, you know, we don't we don't like this, we don't like that. You gotta make a movie more like this, more like that. And they're starting to to control the creativity of Star Wars. Now imagine telling George Lucas this, hey, you gotta make Star Wars the way I like it, not the way you wanna make it. It's like, but he created it. He's He will forever be more imaginative Even, you know, I wasn't a huge fan of the prequel trilogy, but I did appreciate how inventive it was. And that was all George Lucas, you know, all the names, the characters, the worlds. You know, it was pretty amazing, the stuff that he came up with for, for that world. And if somebody was to control him by not supporting him financially, or, you know, being vocal about it and telling him, you have to make a Star Wars movie this way, I think it would hurt any franchise, not just Star Wars.
3: So well, think- you say that about Star Wars. Star Wars was, I mean, like, George's franchise. I mean, like, the whole, re- like, so the opening crawl with, with the Star Wars, like, the story. Like, we mm-hmm. start on episode yeah. four, and it gives you, like, those yellow letters. They're iconic now. Well, Star Wars stands out for so many different reasons, because it's about the little guy that won't listen to the big entity and wants to do their own thing that nobody else has, you know, like, control over. He wanted to do it his way Mm -hmm. and those opening that opening crawl where it tells you the story that's where the credits normally are Mm -hmm. george had to go and jump through so many hoops and get so many permissions and whatnot start up like his own like thing just so that he could get that but he was going to do it his way and there's so much respect for that the fact that you're saying yeah to say that to say that fans are now controlling star wars i mean you're taking away one of the things that makes it special if you're controlling yeah. it, because Star Wars yeah. has always been designed, at least as far as George Lucas was concerned, to be its own thing. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, but even so,
5: George, even George said it. He says, I, "I'm not making Star Wars for anyone but myself. And if anybody likes it, great.
4: You yeah, know, good." <laughs> I think what um, so I find... Anyway. Inti- Sorry, I interrupted you twice. No, there. go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, <laughs> I was, I was just going to say. I think what I find intimidating about kind of any f- fandom base is the, the unpleasantry is really mobilized if you take like the character of rose in the last jedi i'm gonna get the actor's name um who is kelly marie tran it, it, it's the fact that she literally had to leave social media because there were so many people round the clock sending kind of racist abuse sexist abuse because they didn't like her character mm-hmm. and you think all right you know like uh, Like to be blunt for a moment, like you don't like a character. Who gives a fuck? You know, like why do you care? Or sorry, why should we care that you don't like a character? But the trouble is, you think, oh, yeah, but it's only a small, it's only a small number, yeah. But they're really, really proactive, and they will dedicate all of their spare time to bullying people. That's what kind of like alarms me, and it's not exclusive to Star Wars. It's a lot of kind of uh, franchises Mm -hmm. now where if they don't like. A certain aspect, they will just spend all the time. Ghostbusters is another one. Yeah. Um, you know, people- I love Ghostbusters yeah no i like ghostbusters but but the kind of the the vitriol around the all-female cast for ghostbusters it was bonkers it was not about how the film was whether it was good or not it was about it being all female and they again they were to use the word they were mobilized because they spent all their time talking about why it was rubbish and ultimately people then listen and go well maybe it might be not good maybe i shouldn't go and see it and then kind of it has an impact. Yeah.
5: yeah, that was that was ridiculous. I really enjoyed the the Ghostbusters with the all female so cast, good. you know. But yeah, but for me, you know, I I guess I just don't understand what the big deal with Ghostbusters is. You know, I I saw it when it first came out in the theaters, and you know, if you don't know, do you want know the truth about Ghostbusters is if anybody wants to know who are such hardcore fans, Ghostbusters is a rip off of a seventies TV show called The Ghostbusters, back in uh, with Bob Burns and and with. Um, uh forrest tucker and a, a, another actor a, a name, uh, i'm blanking right now but i grew up watching that show in the 70s it was a saturday morning tv show yeah, about the gorilla. This, it was awesome about, yeah jc the gorilla and this detective agency was uh with uh, uh this guy named kong and, and uh and spencer and basically they they get called about ghosts and hauntings and they go around and find the the ghost and they get this little device that sucks the spirits and they store the spirits. It's Ghostbusters. It's called Ghostbusters. The movie Ghostbusters ripped it off. So when I saw, and they, they, they got into a lawsuit, and they lost, and they had to pay Ghostbusters all this money, but, but they, they knew going in that, that they were going to lose, but this is the way how they could steal that franchise, steal the name, is that they said, okay, well, you win. We'll pay you this, but now we get to use the word Ghostbusters, and they created a whole franchise off of that new Ghostbusters. It was all a sham. You know, I that's, that's the reality of it. Yeah. So when I saw memes on, on social media showing the all-female cast Ghostbusters, and then they showed the original Ghostbusters with Dan Aykroyd and and, and uh, uh, I don't know who the other guys are, mm-hmm. um, and then they, uh, yes, <laughs> right? And then they said, you know, to me, this will always be the original Ghostbusters. I can't help but to laugh and go you don't even you don't even know the history of ghostbusters you're such a hardcore fan but you didn't know that ghostbusters the rip off of the original 70s show they stole it
4: to return to your original point uh steve it, it's what you were saying earlier about being um being ill-informed it, it, it's literally that that like fans are ill-informed about something but then the trouble is they're running with it and they're holding on to the idea it's you know it, it's that um the fool is the most dangerous person because they, they you know that they they don't know very much and they kind of just go along with it.
5: Uh, I just it's, it's what say, they know, isn't it? It's karma. You know what karma? Karma will come back and knock on their door because you know when you when you're such a jerk that you have to bully people over stupid things like movies, really, and characters uh, in the movies. Yeah. They didn't like that character. They're actors. So it's just a job for them. Yeah. You know, maybe yeah. my view of Hollywood is very different than the average person's view because being in the industry we don't we don't look at the stuff as anything really special it's like it's a job that we do you know we create content we do whatever actors have talent you know but then there's also all the people that work behind the scenes that that create the films you know it's a job for all of us so we don't we don't view it quite as glamorous as maybe everybody else does but it's just ridiculous that when you bully somebody karma will come back because you know mm. you're you're going to you're going to try to bully the wrong person one day mm. and then you're going to get some serious backlash you know so whatever, I think it's ridiculous.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, I I, I don't know why you've got that much free time to, to hate on something. If I, and I so, so I, I grew up watching Transformers, Thundercats, Turtles, yeah, I love them. And then my son will watch them, but they're, they're now a different version, And it's like, that's not the one I grew up with. I don't know if I like this, but I'm not gonna go on the internet and, and you know, verbally abuse the voice actors. I just I just don't understand what puts you in that frame of mind of you own it. No, no. I mean, the creators have made it. They've created it. Let them have their, their vision. I mean, if you don't like it, fine. Don't watch it. Don't, don't hate, support it. Don't right? hate.
4: Yeah. I got into this conversation with Frankie B. Washington, uh, another guest that I've had on, and he said that, um, you know, like, a hobby, generally speaking, is big enough, it's vast enough that there can be niche aspects that you think, you know what, that, that, that's my bit. And usually there's no kind of logic to it other than nostalgia. It's that for whatever yeah. reason, you caught that bit and, you, and that kind of, that was the magic for you. And it might be that you were born at the right time where you were that age of kind of, a, like for me, it was Pokemon because I I was 12 when Pokemon was big. So I absolutely lapped it up. That was kind of the thing that I was exposed to. And yeah, if I watch Pokemon now in the recent series, it's not as good. No, it's not that it's not as good. It's that actually I am no longer the target demographic. Mm. And right. that's okay. Yeah. But then fans yeah. are getting angry that other people are enjoying their hobby. <laughs> that's where it gets
5: really
2: silly. <laughs> yeah, it's just I, I'm sad, really really, I'm it? really
5: curious if, if these same people can go back and watch the original show now as an adult. Mm-hmm. They feel because i'll tell you what for me personally like i have all these shows that i watched as a kid that i love i can't watch it now you know if i watch it now it's like i I don't i don't enjoy it because i'm not that kid anymore do you not get get retro goggles no No. i mean I, i i feel the nostalgia you know uh when i see photos of it when i see you know oh yeah like like shows like the banana split i loved the banana splits when i was a kid um, I even bought the, the box set, you know, and I watched it and I, and I enjoyed it like, oh, for put the nostalgia of it. But, you know, as an adult now and having <laughs> a very different mm-hmm. view of life, you know, I can't watch that and enjoy it the same way that I enjoyed it as a kid where I had a lot less clutter in my head. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and like shows like Ultraman, like Ultraman is like my favorite superhero. I love Ultraman. I can't go back and watch the original show the same way. I can watch it in a very nostalgic way. But it's a, it was a simple show, and it was you know there was just a lot of like things you normally wouldn't do anymore because that's back then that's was innovative. Now it's it's different, you know. Yeah. So I don't know. I I just don't understand that whole thing. It's like you can you can appreciate appreciate something and have nostalgia, but it's saying something now, new is not as good as the old. Go back and watch the old again and look at it with a fresh eyes and see mm-hmm. if you still feel the same way.
3: Because is still amazing. I can watch it now though. It's still What's amazing. It?
2: Gargoyles. Sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I remember that.
3: Have you seen the oh, ch- the cartoon cool. Gargoyles? Um no. I, I have not. No.
2: Oh guys, come on. That was a Disney. So, Disney wasn't. Yeah, it? yeah.
3: Disney. And basically yeah. when Batman the animated series came out, Disney was like, right, Warner Brothers has this really cool thing. We need to do something to, to do damage control here. So basically, what they did is that, This is kaiju-related here. You know, they're strange beasts. So um, they have these gargoyles, which it it opens, and they're like Scottish Highland warriors. They protect a castle. They turn to stone during the day, and at night they come alive. And the problem is, is that human beings are crap, and some of them get clubbed while they're stoned during the day. So things happen. They get put under a spell, and then they wake up in New York, and it's the 90s. And it's just them finding their place. But there was just like, it it didn't dawn on me at first, but I recall now that it was the first cartoon show that I ever watched that the entire show had an overarching plot. Every episode was meant to be seen in a certain order and it had a certain value to contribute to an overarching story. And later on, I would watch shows like Dragon Ball Z or Gundam or whatever that was on Toonami, but... I remember that Gargoyles was the one that started off and they touched on pretty much every type of myth and legend that you could hope to look at or find. And it was fantastic. So yeah, I'll still watch Gargoyles. I love that
5: about series when it does a big overarching uh, story, because I find, I find, you know, like episodic kind of stuff, um, you know, just like individual stories and stuff. They're fun, but overall, you, you don't quite get as invested in them. Because there's a lot, something a lot bigger going on.
4: It's time for our second break, folks. We're back in a moment. When we made our new McDonald's spicy chicken McNuggets, you were praise hands emoji. Then we ran out, and you were streaming
1: tears emoji. Now they're back, so you can be grinning face with sweat emoji. Order ahead on the McDonald's app. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. For a limited time at participating McDonald's. Here's 3 great reasons to get the new Samsung Galaxy S21 5G at T-Mobile. 1, it's free for both current and new customers when you trade in an eligible device. 2, T-Mobile's the leader in 5G coverage. So 3, you can unleash 5G speeds in more places with your new phone. Get the new Galaxy S21 free at T-Mobile, the leader in 5G coverage. Phone via 24 monthly bill credits plus tax if you cancel credit stop and balance on required finance agreement may be due. Contact us. Qualifying credit and consumer plan required. See details at tmobile.com.
5: Welcome back to the Kaiju Curry House. We are back for segment number three.
4: We talk about all things Kaiju and beyond. We we do indeed, because when um, Steve and I were exchanging emails and Steve very kindly agreed to come back for an episode, I asked him, you know, can you think of any films for an icebreaker that you've enjoyed recently? And I was presumptive. I thought, you know, because we're a monster podcast, Steve would infer that. But this is where, guys, be specific. Because, Steve, what are the films that you've recently enjoyed? Uh, Mary Poppins' Return. Yes. <laughs> and we're, we're...
5: Rise, of, Rise of Skywalker.
4: Well, I think we've already discussed uh, <laughs> Star Wars enough. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? Let's go with it. What have you enjoyed about Mary Poppins' The Return? Well... Mary Poppins
5: was a very special movie for me when I was a kid. Uh, I remember uh, when it came out, well, I'm not that old, but um, as old as Mary Poppins, but uh, when I was a kid growing up in Taiwan, I remember seeing Mary Poppins for the first time at about age of four. And my mom took me halfway across town on a bus, and we went to the theater, and we watched Mary Poppins. And then afterwards, she took me off her ice cream. Like, I spent the whole day with my mom. And so that was just one of those, like, Amazing childhood memories that I had, and so growing up, I've always been very—I um, don't know—just just I've always just been so attracted to the the idea of seeing Mary Poppins because it always brought back that good memory. And then watching it over and over again, you know, as a kid and into an adulthood I just realized it just, it's just—it's a wonderful film. It really is. It's magical. You know, it teaches you some good lessons, you know, and uh, about stuff, and and teaches you about the evils of money. <laughs> and so over over time, uh, it just became a film that I watched literally like at least once or twice a year. And then when the the Mary Poppins returns came out, I was a little apprehensive at first because I thought, man, nobody can replace Julie Andrews. Uh, but when I went to go see it, I was I was literally in tears. It was such a beautiful love love letter to the original Mary Poppins, um, and just the the cast, which was just stellar, the songs, the music was amazing. And everything about it is just so awesome that you know now it's become another one of my favorite films too i listen to the soundtrack in my car all the time um so
3: let's go fly, that's what guys, movie's about. definitely movies, on my
5: playlist you know if movies can do that for you i think it's it's great it's it's amazing that's
3: awesome and
5: joe you're a big mary
3: poppins fan i am a huge about mary your mary poppins experience so right <laughs> it is it, it all right so kaiju fans i'm I i'm so sorry to disappoint you but mary poppins is and will always be my favorite film. I grew up with two VHSs for the longest time. One was Terra Mechagodzilla and the other was Mary Poppins. And Mary Poppins always won out. Mary Poppins was like amazing. Let's Go Fly a Kite is still on my playlist. My daughter yep. and I watched that film. And my mom always tells this very music anecdote that when I was young, I got really upset. I don't remember this, but apparently my mom does. I got really upset that I couldn't snap my fingers because... If I knew how to snap my fingers, all my clothes and toys would just magically put themselves away. But I couldn't snap <laughs> my fingers when I was little, so that was the thing. And uh, the thing is, is that my parents played into this childhood drama like they really upset God. me because they'd leave the room and say, "Oh, I just snap my fingers. It's all clean now." And it's just yeah. my parents were trolls, but they're amazing. Yeah. But I, lo- I absolutely love it. And Dick Van Dyke in that movie was amazing. Yep. My daughter and I recently watched *Night at the Museum* for the first time, which is a class film. And the whole time that I was watching *Night at the Museum*, I was like, "That's Bert. That's that's Bert. He's gonna he's gonna do this. He's that's Bert." Yep. You know?
5: I had the it's I had great. the pleasure of meeting uh, Dick Van Dyke once. Um, this was probably I want to say maybe about seven years ago. Dick Van Dyke is a big monster fan. <gasps> oh, <So>, yeah. <gasps> Yeah. Oh, we
3: need him on the show. We need yeah. him on the show. <laughs> Big monster, oh
5: my gosh. <laughs> Monster special effects Halloween, Halloween fan. And uh, he, he learns, like, how to do Photoshop. And, and I think he's trying to do ZBrush and stuff like that. He's a huge monster fan. So <laughs> wow. uh, a friend of mine was telling me that one of his friends would go around Halloween time and set up his front yard because he wants to do all these, things, like, animatronic creatures and all this stuff you know, in his front yard for the kids every year. And it's quite a production. So he invited me along one one day, so I went there and I just saw this all the stuff he was doing in, at his house, and I got to meet meet him, and it was awesome. You know, one of my childhood heroes, yeah.
3: And to know that he loves uh, monsters. It, it's, it's, that's it's too awesome. cool. Yeah. Oh, man, Dick Van Dyke, he's a—he's awesome.
4: So here's wow. me kind of like arrogantly brushing you off. No, no, not not Mary Poppins, <laughs> The Return. Suddenly, now it all fits together. You're, you the, you're the puppet master, Steve. You know, that's, that's the connections, Dick Van Dyke. Yeah. But, but the, the question I have to ask is, what was the relationship between Mary Poppins and Dick Van Dyke? Because I could never understood that.
5: Well, it's... Platonic, uh, <laughs> I think. So Mary Poppins, you know, like like they never say this, but I think Mary Poppins is a witch, and she's kind of uh, immortal, right? Mm. And so all the kids growing up, uh, like Bert, you know, and then uh, all the other generations down, they they kind of all know of Mary Poppins. So I think they're just kind of there, like to facilitate, to help. They they know what Mary Poppins' mission is. Whenever she shows up kids are in trouble they need saving right especially uh the the parents like mary poppins wasn't about saving the kids there is about saving the parents through the kids Mm. right that's always the sort of the 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 through line the theme of of the of the movies um so i think i just think that you know like like bird and all the other characters like they know what mary's mission is and they're they're happy to just be a part of it and help out because uh, it's never about you know them. Everyone knows Mary Poppins is hot. I mean that's just you know. Yeah. But no one no one dare cross that line with Mary Poppins.
4: <laughs> no. Well, I always got the impression that Dick Van Dyke kind of wanted to be a thing with her, and she was always kind of like, no, 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 like no, no, you haven't got a chance, mate.
5: Well, there was. I think there was only one little scene where, where. Uh, it uh, was a scene where they went through the, the painting. The Jolly were, holidays. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And he was thinking about Bert, about being a diamond in the rough and all this stuff. And, and ladies need fear when you are near. And if you look at Dick Van Dyke's face, he's almost like, well, wait a minute, man. I, I, I'm a dude, you know, I have needs. You, know? <laughs> you can kind of see that coming out of his face. But
3: he would never dare, you know, tell Mary Poppins that. I, think, yeah. I, like, to think as, I like to think that Bert and Mary... I mean, this is my interpretation. It could be Disney could come out and say, no, it's canon. Those two are just Plutonic friends. But I like to think in my own little world that Bert is another, another. I I, th- I would like to think that Bert and Mary are two entities that take a form. And like, this is their way of coming down to earth and like helping people. So I like to think of Bert as another like immortal, like being and he knows Mary from like all these things that they've done all in the past. And of course, there probably may be a history there or a friendship or something deeper or whatever it is that they do. But I'd like to think of them more, like not necessarily angels in the religious sense, but like along those lines, like they come down, they help people. And then, you know, like they'll leave when they're no longer needed.
5: Yeah, unfortunately, I think they kind of, they kind of dispelled that notion because
3: then Mary Poppins
5: Returns, she came down and she was asking about Bert. He was informed that Bert was traveling the Orient or something. You know, he was uh, in his older years and whatnot. So she had no idea what Bert was up to. So they had oh. not talked in a long time. I'm still gonna be a Yeah, me too. I'm like this too.
3: Yeah, <laughs> I love Bert. Guy, yeah, amazing Bert, dude. Bert's amazing. Bert's awesome. I'm I'm stunned.
4: I'm, and then I'm a giant stunned.
5: monster. And then a giant monster comes in and destroys Cherry Cherry Tree Lane. Eh.
3: Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gorgo. <laughs>
4: I think the, actually, the closing message of Mary Poppins is wonderful. I love the idea that effectively, you know, the dad's been fired. And, you know, when you're watching that as a kid, you don't really quite make the link because you don't understand the importance of, you know, employment and prospects. But effectively, the dad has been fired and he doesn't care. And that the family are happy together, and that, that, that there's a wonderful message there, and that Mary Poppins leaves at that point, and kind of her work is done because they are kind of reunited and they're cohesive again. I think it's very, very positive.
5: Yeah, it's it's very smart how they approach Mary Poppins because I think they they explored that quite a bit in the um, the movie Saving Mr. Banks with Tom Hanks, you know, where where uh, the the movie wasn't you know where where the, Walt Disney thought the movie was about the kids, and, and it wasn't. The movie was really about saving the father. And, you know, and then so that's really, that's also the theme for Mary Poppins Return. It's always about, about the parents. When Mary Poppins came back and says, you know, I'm here to save the Banks children, and the little kids are like, what, us? And she said, oh, yeah, you too. You know, it, that, that's so telling of that, you know, it's a little wink to the audience that knows what, mm-hmm. the, what the stories are really
4: about. I don't know how we're going to kind of like raise the bar from Mary Poppins because I feel like we've we've peaked so well for this episode. But Joe, what were some of the films films that you'd picked out? Oh yeah, we're
3: we're coming back. All right, so the special effects films, (laughs) like the moments that wowed me for special effects. So I'm going to be a bit cliche because so much has been said about this film and its special effects, but young Joe was truly floored by Jurassic Park. Now, my favorite, like, little scene of realism like the thing that just ticks a box for me in that entire movie it, it's during the Tyrannosaurus Rex attack scene uh, with the Ford Explorers and you know torrential downpour all of that it's not long after the lawyer gets eaten um, and you know Malcolm or not Malcolm but Grant's there trying to get the Lex out from underneath the Explorer mm-hmm. and you know he's just moving on to Tim and then it just kind of like pans away does a cut and you see you know like Lex screams or and then the Tyrannosaurus you see like what's she's screaming at is the Tyrannosaurus Rex's foot coming down in the mud and that foot Is amazing so why is it amazing you can see like the muscles tensing in it you can see like the materials that they use the toes are splaying outward the mud and like this like the sound effect that they gave for the mud bubbling underneath this massive animals foot coming down the rain coming off of it the the beautiful integration the integration you know all these different elements with this practical effect and yet all throughout that entire sequence of the Tyrannosaurus Rex attacking, you don't, for a moment, think that it's CGI or, you know, practical effects. It is a real animal there. Like, one of the moments that, again, it's a small thing, but when uh, Lex, the young girl, turns on the light while, you know, and the T-Rex is over there kind of, like, messing around with the two guys' car, like, the T-Rex bumps its jaw against the truck and to this day i don't know is that a practical effect or is that cgi that they use because you can jostle a car and then add the effect outside later or was that the animatronic i personally don't know and that's part of the magic to it i can't tell the difference with that scene and it's from 1993 like that was amazing special effects and just they married up so well now We've gone over like super fans a little bit here in the podcast but um, there are fans that do point out that the CGI Rex and the practical effect Rex don't perfectly marry up um, Jurassic world was the first um, Jurassic Park franchise film where the Tyrannosaurus Rex CGI and practical effect they were all scanned in so they were identical but when when I watch that original scene, I'm still always floored because there are elements of that film which are a little bit dated now. I mean, they still look great, but they're just a little bit dated. Um, but that Tyrannosaurus Rex attack scene, like it's it's brilliant. They did all the right things there.
5: Um, yeah, I I heard. Sorry, I meant to interrupt. I, I heard. I don't. I can't confirm what the exact number of shots are, but a while ago I heard that that sequence. Uh, there was about 30 CG shots in the entire sequence, which is actually not a lot compared to how much the practical was actually used. And I believe most of it, when you see it, if you didn't see the full creature, that was all practical, which is quite an amazing amount of of, uh, shots.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, like you say, even the full creature. So um, even the end, like the end of that scene, after it's kicked the explorer over the ledge and everything, you just see it roar. That's the practical effect. And you're seeing virtually the entire animal. So a huge portion of Jurassic Park's budget was actually sunk into that Rex. I forget what percentage of the overall budget of the film it was, but it was that one Tyrannosaurus Rex. Because if anything has to look perfect, it's the Tyrannosaurus mm-hmm. Rex, right? Yeah, let me correct and, myself. I mean, shots have been running around. Things that like oh, yeah. would
5: be very hard to do for a giant size, full-size T-Rex to run around yeah Um, certainly the shot you're talking about you know full-size shots if it's not running around it's it's practical
3: yeah it it was just to this day that is brilliant that for me that will always be like a real dinosaur that is oh yeah it's iconic and it still still stands up that scene still stands out to this day yeah and so like we were talking earlier before the podcast got started like what they can do with practical effects nowadays so we got on the topic of like you know like the animatronics and everything and deep blue sea came up. So the robotic sharks were deep blue sea. So um, there's a scene at the beginning of the movie where our hero, our protagonist pulls a license plate out of like, I think it's a tiger shark's mouth because they're going to feed it to the super sharks. And that is an animatronic swimming shark on a remote control. That, I mean, when I found that out, that floored me. I'm like, they can do that now? Wow. So cut to maybe two weeks ago. So this popped up on my Facebook feed. There is an animatronic dolphin that is out now. And the whole reason they've made this dolphin, first of all, folks, is so they can take real dolphins out of zoos and aquariums and people can still get a very lifelike uh, experience is isn't necessarily a genuine one, but I think being more ethical to dolphins is more important. Anyways, I was watching the footage for this and I was thinking this was a clickbait thing. This is fake. This is a real dolphin and blah. Turns out Joe was wrong. They spent $26 million making a fake dolphin and it's so real. It fooled me and I had to watch this video several times and fact check it. So. This dolphin, like for instance, it's swimming around in a pool. It is swimming around in like a gymnasium type pool, like an outdoor like public swimming pool. It's not where you would put a dolphin. That went over my head the first time. The next thing that I had to look back and just like these these subtle things that make it not real. But you never see its blowhole open. You never see it breathe. That mist of air come up. But in terms of how it swam, the way it looked, everything it was a dolphin and like practical effects have that capacity. Nowadays people, I think overrate CGI for like what it can do. And to a degree, it's great for some things, but nowadays practical effects have the capacity to be so amazing for those up close shots and they can marry up so well. I think it's truly incredible. But like Steve, like you went when I mentioned it, you watched this dolphin. Like, what did you think of that? I was 100% fooled. It looked uh, real. Yeah. yeah. Like
5: I said, the first giveaway was looking at it being in a pool in fresh water. I knew that was not a real dolphin because it, you can't, a real dolphin can't swim in a freshwater pool. So, but, you know, so barring that, that was more of validation that this is uh, not a real dolphin. But the movement, the way he swam, it swam, it's amazing. I've swam with real dolphins before in the ocean. So I know, I know like how, what they, what they do, what they look like. And that fooled me 100%. That looked real. Yeah. So crazy and I love stuff. that idea. I really love that idea. I mean, I'm I'm all about, you know, compassion for animals. I mean, I'm, I'm vegan. My wife and my, my daughter were all vegans, you know, for the animals. And so that just gave me like a great idea. Like I should open a business to make animatronic animals to replace real zoo animals. Like what a brilliant idea.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it, it would take a special type of zoo, but I think one of the things that they could really go for is extinct animals. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, if you have a dolphin that can swim, what's to say that you couldn't have, you know, something else that was extinct or what have you? Like people, sure. I mean, that, that would that would certainly be – You could you could make Jurassic Park, you know, like if you had the budget, I suppose, or, you know, what have you. But
5: Well, they kind of already do, and, and it's okay. Yeah, yeah. But I
3: would, I would
5: replace real animals and, and send all the animals back to the wild where they belong because they don't belong themselves.
4: They really don't. Ah. It's time for us to close the episode, everyone. So can we do a round the table with, if nothing else, our personal recommendations? I will start us off if that's okay. Um, My one has been brought to my attention by Twitter and I will bring it up now. So, Arrow Video, who are based in London and are responsible for distributing the Gamera box set, they have done a recent tweet one day ago, and the tweet says as follows, it's simple, design a monster, if it wins, we will make it into a hand-sculpted, collectible figure. So, I guess I'm doing a call out here to any of our listeners who have a streak of artistic talent, design a monster, and just... Put it out on Twitter and tag in the Arrow Video channel, and you never know that might kind of um, be a success for you. So I thought, Alex, you're killing me. You had to say this right in front of Steve. <laughs> now
3: he's going to do it. I mean, I'm never <laughs> going to win. <laughs>
4: yeah. Uh, well, we all know that Steve's going to do Mary Poppins as a kaiju, so you know.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah. We need to see this.
2: Yeah. Um, Paul, if nothing else. Uh, if nothing else, just now from this episode i i really want to go back and rewatch final fantasy spirits within so i'm going to say um if you haven't seen it or if you have seen it give it a rewatch. and um i guess also just just a quick shout out to our, our listeners so we're on episode 50 now that's you know big big five oh um and we've just recently set up a group a facebook group um kaiju curry house so please You know, come join our group, um, pose us questions. Uh, I mean, a shout out to Tom Tyler, who's already asked a question. And when we have a a guest-free episode, we'll definitely discuss that. So, yeah, please enjoy the podcast and get involved. Um, Joe, how about yourself?
3: So I'm going to give a shout out to Invader Design. Um, Connor, who's in our group, uh, he has made a couple of wonderful kits. Um, He can print them off with his 3D printer and you can assemble them um they are fantastic i am doing a graboid one i have done a gorgo one and i think right now he's posting on his twitter under invader design um, of a ray harryhausen kraken that he's been putting together which looks fantastic so give him a like give him you know tweet him and uh support him because he's an artist and that's what you're supposed to do steve
2: nothing else um, sir?
5: I guess a quick shout out to, uh, I did I kind of did this last time, was my wife. My wife and one of my friends, Ben, is working on a limited edition uh, skull set and from of creatures from Star Wars. So the first thing mm-hmm. that my wife's working on right now is a Tauntaun skull, uh, Luke Skywalker's Tauntaun specifically. And so they're going to be putting this out as a limited edition art piece. Um, and then others will be following like uh, the Rancor and uh, the wampa and, and whatnot. So I thought that'd be kind of fun for anybody who's into the, the, the kaijus from Star Wars.
2: Um, okay. so, so where can, we, where can this... we find that?
5: Yeah, oh, just look at, uh, go follow my wife on, at, uh, in, on Instagram. It's called uh, Quirky Monster, Q-I-R-K-Y, Monster, one word. Um, because she, a few years ago, she did a, a skull of the Mythosaurus from, uh, the, from Boba Fett's uh, crest. And uh, and then that just took off, and ironically, it became uh, it became part of the Star Wars canon now. Because then uh, this uh, company called Regal Robot, uh, ran by Tom Spina, he got the rights from Disney to license these skulls. Uh, so he bought it from my wife, and they had her commission her to do a larger version. And then we went to Star Wars Land recently to one of the uh, the stores, and there was the the skulls were hanging along with all the other Star Wars robots, and so. Inadvertently, she sort of took this this idea and turned it into Star Wars canon. Yeah, Um, and then to the point where the I think the final episode of the Mandalorian, BB Yoda had a little skull of the mythosaurs that was given to him by by uh, by the Mandalorian. So it kind of came full circle. So that's kind of cool. So anyway, she's working on a new uh, skull set
4: of all these other creatures from Star Wars. I think fantastic. I would also really like to hear about your Etsy shot when that gets set up, if it's not already.
5: Yeah, it's uh, it's it's gonna be the links. Will, I'll be putting on my Instagram, which is uh, Steve Wine Creature Creator. I'll be putting updates on there when pieces become available, and all they have to do is go to uh, my website, the theonixforge.com, and uh, all the links, the stores will all be there. You click on the photo, it'll take you right to the store. So that'll be up and running soon once I have all the pieces ready to for sale. Oh, that's, that's awesome.
3: awesome! Yeah.
4: Um, brilliant. Uh, Joe, can you take us away, please?
3: Folks, thank you for listening to episode 50 of Kaiju Curry House. If you like this episode, please let us know. We are uh, on Twitter. We are on Facebook. We have a web page. Give us a shout out. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, keep it Kaiju.
2: Thanks for joining us at the Curry House today. We hope we've given you enough Kaiju goodness to last until next time. If you want to follow us on Twitter, we're at Curry Kaiju. If you want to join us on Facebook, we're at UK Kaiju. And if you want to find out about other shows in the network, please visit heroespodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.
3: talk to one's head can we go like i'm joe mcatee and he would be like i'm alex wainwright i'm paul williams
1: together we are Sorry, uh,
5: yes you can me. do that you can, you can do that young man
1: <laughs> it's amazing
5: you give
4: you give permission for us to do that
5: <laughs> uh, you can do whatever you want i mean this is you know the free country <laughs>
4: steve's just sitting there like
3: Right, let's have a look. you guys can. <laughs> <laughs> um,
5: but yeah, ball. we can talk about we can talk about Bill and Ted, um, what what we did on that project. Do you want me to talk about it now?
0: Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is "Get options based on your budget with the name and price tool from Progressive." Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry. I'm going to need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The name your price tool, only from Progressive. Yeah. The and a afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty
1: Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Folding a fitted sheet. Programming the thermostat. Matching your socks. Finding something good on TV. Why are simple things sometimes so complicated? Thankfully, with Auto Owners Insurance, getting the right coverage for your home doesn't have to be one of them. Auto Owners works with independent agents who live in your community and answer when you call. So you can get back to more important things, like finding that missing sock. That's simple human sense. Ask your independent agent if Auto Owners makes sense for you.